Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're like me right now, your house is a mess. A wonderful mess of Christmas bows and boxes and tins of yummy goodies. Our Christmas loot is littering the kitchen table and still under the tree, perhaps. But while the gifts have all been unwrapped, while the rest of the world says Christmas is over, we remain in the season of Christmas tide for 12 days until Epiphany and the arrival of the wise men on January 6th. So until then, pump up those Christmas carols and keep that Christmas tree lit. I love my Christmas decorations. From my inherited Cuthbertson dishes with Christmas trees, to my various nativity sets and ornaments, and of course, my Santa inflatables. They are all well-loved and imbued with loving memories. Yet perhaps my favorite decoration comes from many of you. On my kitchen windows, in each pane of glass, I have taped dozens of Christmas cards of friends and family posing in many, many ways. I'm always tickled to see the photo cards, especially depicting growing children, new babies, and the dog or two that slips in. There's even the hilarious and creative one that perhaps some of you got of a family reenacting a Christmas story complete with the infamous leg lamp and pink bunny onesie. It is great. I keep all of my Christmas cards and I have them stored away like a giant family Christmas album reminding me of the many memories and people that I cherish. Of course, in this day and age, memorializing our memories in photos and through social media and other ways makes it fairly simple to remember all those important things in our lives, childhoods, anniversaries, birthdays. 
We recount those significant moments, those people that shaped us, and those that have gone before us, and the ways we have grown and changed through the years. They're snapshots of the people we are and perhaps wish to be, snapshots that give us a glimpse of our identities and how we have been shaped. We even attempt to create baby pictures of the Christ child at his birth in paintings and drawings. We have seen countless ones of those. A lowly stable, lots of straw, a manger with cows in the background, a tired Mary and a wide-eyed Joseph, and a tiny baby with a golden halo surrounding his head. We imagine as best we can because we want to identify with that precious baby that is Emmanuel, God with us. We want to embrace the divine gift that changes all of humanity. And so we celebrate knowing that God loved us enough to come among us as one of us. I pray that you have made some of your own wonderful Christmas memories this season that you will cherish forever. As I mentioned previously, Christ's childhood memories are sparse, however. The baby book nearly empty of stories to inform us of his upbringing and growth. And so typically in the lectionary following the first Sunday after Christmas highlights one of these stories of a young Jesus. In one year, the lectionary highlights the story of the Holy Family's visit to the temple. In another, we learn of the slaughter of the innocents when Herod proclaims that all children of a certain age should be slaughtered. That's one that we don't particularly want to keep in a baby book. But today, our third and final story is of a boy Jesus. The focus is on an adolescent Christ on the cusp of adulthood. His parents fearful when they can't find him on the return home. He has remained in the temple following the Passover festival. You see, as observant Jews, they are required to make pilgrimage to the temple three times a year for the high holy days. And should they not be able to make all three, the most important one, Passover, was the most widely attended. And so joining their family and friends, the Holy Family makes their way to Jerusalem to make the ritual sacrifices. Like any parent, Mary and Joseph are raising Jesus in a particular tradition and ways that reflect who they are. And as Jews, they are teaching him the practices that embody their faith. Just as we have family traditions and rituals taught to us as kids, so did Jesus. And so through this, we see the beginnings of his identity being formed through his parents and through his heavenly father. These few stories that we are given about a young Jesus give us a glimpse of the boy who would eventually embrace his entire ministry as Christ, as Christ who would give us resurrection life. 
And so from the beginning, as this story shows us, Jesus recognizes at a very young age that he is called to be about his father's business. Unlike the other two childhood stories, this particular tale is the first in which Jesus has agency and voice, confirming the identity that he is called to when he responds to his mother and her concern about his absence on the way home. He responds to her, why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now while these words may seem appropriate for a sassy teenage Jesus, they reveal more to us. In these few words, Jesus confirms that he understands his relationship with God and his divinity, even at such a young age. We see Jesus forming an identity, pointing us to the growth he must endure to become Christ. Though he asks question after question of the religious leaders, he is recognized for wisdom and depth beyond anything they know. They are amazed. Before he is yet an adult, Jesus knows that the future that lies ahead of him is one centered on God and the temple. And so his presence in the temple at 12 foreshadows the adult Jesus that will emerge and change the world forever. And so as we've read this story, consider these two important aspects. Jesus was raised in every way as an observant Jew, keeping in line with the traditions of the Old Testament and pointing us to the fulfillment of the covenant God first made with the Israelites. And two, Christ's growing identity should give us pause to consider our own evolving identity as we grow into the faithful people of God who embrace the good news that arrived in the shape of a tiny infant. And so how does the birth of God incarnate come to shape our own identity? God doesn't show up as a mere symbol, but as a real child, as real as each of us to reveal God's true reality. My favorite Christmas gifts as a child were always books. And to this day, I still love to read. One year, I received the children's classic book, The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams, which I pray most of you are familiar with. And it's a story I've shared with you before. In it, we meet a stuffed rabbit who seems to be having his own crisis of identity. Is he real with a capital R? Or is he just a toy? What defines being real? It begins, there was once a velveteen rabbit, and in the beginning he was really splendid. He was fat and bunchy as a rabbit should be. His coat was spotted brown and white. He had real thread whiskers, 
and his ears were lined with pink satin. On Christmas morning, when he sat wedged in the top of the boy's stocking with a sprig of holly between his paws, the effect was charming. He was naturally shy, and being only made of velveteen, some of the more expensive toys quite snubbed him. The mechanical toys were very superior and looked down upon everyone else. They were full of modern ideas and pretended they were real. The model boat, who had lived through two seasons and lost most of his paint, caught the tone from them and never missed an opportunity of referring to his rigging in technical terms. The rabbit could not claim to be a model of anything, for he didn't know that real rabbits existed. He thought they were all stuffed with sawdust like himself. And he understood that sawdust was quite out of date and should never be mentioned in modern circles. The skinned horse had lived in the nursery longer than any of the other toys. And so one day, the rabbit asked him, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made to the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. The boy often took the velveteen rabbit outside to play. He would make him a cozy nest and would go pick flowers. One day, the velveteen rabbit saw two strange beings creep out of the tall bracken near him. They were rabbits like himself, but quite furry and brand new. They must have been very well made, for their seams didn't show at all and they changed shape in a queer way when they moved. One minute they were long and thin, and the next minute fat and bunchy, instead of always staying the same like he did. Why don't you get up and play with us, one of them asked. I don't feel like it, said the rabbit, for he didn't want to explain that he had no clockwork. It's as easy as anything, said the furry rabbit, and he gave a big hop sideways and stood on his hind legs. I don't believe you can, he said. I can, said the little rabbit, I can jump higher than anything. He meant when the boy threw him, but of course he didn't want to say so. Can you hop on your hind legs, asked the furry rabbit. That was a dreadful question, for the velveteen rabbit had no hind legs at all. The back of him was made in all one piece, like a pincushion. He sat still in the bracken and hoped that the other rabbits wouldn't notice. I don't want to, he said again. But the wild rabbits had very sharp eyes, and this one stretched out his neck and looked. 
He hasn't got any hind legs, he called out. Fancy a rabbit without any hind legs. And he began to laugh. I have, cried the little rabbit. I have got hind legs. I am sitting on them. He doesn't smell right, he exclaimed. He isn't a rabbit at all. He isn't real. I am real, said the little rabbit. I am real. The boy said so. I must be real. Like the velveteen rabbit, God came among us as a real human to reconnect us to the divine reality that God intends for us. And so we too must be insistent about that identity in Christ, identity shaped and claimed by Christ, even when we struggle, even when we doubt and the tensions overwhelm us, because we are made real too, with a capital R, because God was made real in flesh and blood and showed us what it meant to embrace God's reality. In the end, the Velveteen Rabbit is made real by a fairy and her magic, but he was real before because that boy loved him. In the end, we are made real because God insisted that we must know God through the very real, fully divine, and fully human God-child, Jesus Christ. God's love transforms us into the people that have shed the old skin of our former life for the real life that God intends for us in Christ. It is a gift to us before we ever even claim it for ourselves. Christ's identity becomes ours as well. And we meet the real among us as one of us. Amen.